We're glad you're here this morning. While you're getting settled in, if you will, turn to Daniel chapter 10. As we look at this unique chapter and we talk about the veil, really the the drawing back of a veil that we'll see in the vision here. And so to get started, there's a there's a little story that kind of goes along amongst pastors in this in chapter 10. And so I ran across it as I was studying. I want to share it with you. There was a uh, young church that was getting started and they were building a new building and they were excited to get back into the building. And so they get into the building and yet it wasn't quite complete yet. And so as they're worshiping and, and enjoying service together and gathering together, it came for the opportunity for baptism. Well, the baptistry was ready, but the changing rooms weren't. And so in light of that, they set up some false walls and hung some curtains and began their service. And so they baptized many, and they come to the last girl, and she was kind of terrified of the water, didn't really want to get in. And they assured her, it's okay, you're going to be okay, we're there, everything's going to be okay. So she gets down into the water, and as they're getting ready to dunk her, she panics. She's scraping, she's crawling, she's doing everything she can not to go underwater. And she happens to reach up and grab the curtain and pull the curtain down. And there stood a man, naked. And he turns and he looks in embarrassment. He does what any of us would do. He dove into the baptistry with the already panicked lady. And so it seems to, on occasion in the Bible, that the curtain is removed. And we get to look into and see things that we shouldn't see or, sh- or is unseen to us. And we get surprised and we're shocked. And so the curtain is removed. And on rare occasions we talk about the Bible where we see at the birth and baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, the veil that concealed the glory of the Lord was lifted. It was lifted. And the heavens were opened. And the angelic host was revealed. And then we see at the Lord's transfiguration once again that the veil was lifted, allowing three of his disciples to really preview, to preview the kingdom of God. And then we get to chapter 10 of Daniel. And really another rare occasion that we get to see the veil is kind of pulled back. It's drawn back. It's lifted. And we get to look into the unseen world that we're going to read about today. But our text is to reveal something to us which should challenge us. It should challenge our preconceived thoughts about what's happening around you and I. And so that's the challenge. To not be stuck on what we think, but to really look at the Scripture, to remove our preference on what we think is going around and happening amongst us as believers. And we really need to step into the reality of what the Word teaches us about the unseen world. And so I hope that this morning it will really kind of shape our perspective as we look at this unseen world and that our practices that which God has called us to do and be obedient to will be shaped around his word and not what we think. And so it is our nature that man is bound by what? By time and space, right? We're bound by that, that we're captive to the natural world, that we have no capacity to get out or to remove ourselves from time and space. And so... We cannot leave. We cannot. We're confined. 
And so our interaction with this unseen world can only come by God himself. It can only be revealed to us by God himself. God must invade our time. He must invade our space for we cannot leave. And that's what happens here to Daniel in chapter 10. Heaven comes to earth in this shocking and startling vision. In fact, this chapter, Daniel is is really visited by many hosts of heaven to really reveal this fourth vision that he has, this fourth and final vision. And so our prayer must be this. Our prayer must be that, that the veil be lifted in this chapter, that we may be, by God's grace, see and believe and behave in a way that is consistent to the revealed truth. And so let me pray. Father, Father, as we look at chapter 10, Father, there will be a lot of questions. There will be a lot of things that are unknown to us. But God, grant us the ability to see the unseen. God, give us the ability to live in these realities. Knowing that there is a spiritual battle that is raging all around us, Father. Give us the strength to fight this battle in your son's name. Amen. So I want to give you a quick setting and background as you turn to chapter 10. Chapter 10 does not stand alone. It's not its own book, but it really is, is, is part of chapter 11 and 12. So it's consistent when we read chapter 10. It's really a, a consistent thought all the way through. It's the last vision. And so chapter 10 is really the introduction to the vision. Chapter 11 kind of spells out for us the details of the event that's going to happen or occur in this vision from Daniel. And so then chapter 12 really just gives us this broad overview of the prophecy of the book, the big picture, and then really kind of closes with this encouragement, this comforting words spoken by Daniel. And so in chapter 10, we are introduced to the vision, which is described to us in chapter 11. Verse 1 and 3, it really provides just a brief description of the events leading up to the vision. When we look at verses 4 through 6, it describes the one whom Daniel sees in his vision and really the impact it has not only on Daniel but those around Daniel. We see that in verse 7 and 9. And then verse 10 through 14, it discloses a word from the angel. The angel speaks a vision to Daniel. And then he also gives a reason for his delay. And so we'll sit there for a little while. And then verse 15 through 17 really is just the account of the impact that this visitation had on Daniel. And then chapter uh, verse 18 to the end really just provides for us just the encouragement and the strengthening of the angel. And so here's the main idea. I want to give you the main idea in the one pact that says God's people can be sure of the reality of spiritual warfare around them while God is replacing all human kingdoms with his ever lasting kingdom. And so God's people can be sure of the reality of the spiritual warfare around them. While God, see, God's still working, right? We can be sure that while things are happening in the unseen world all around us, God is still working towards his everlasting kingdom. Trust in that. Know that. When we can't understand, we can't fathom all that is going on in this world, God is still working. Trust and know that. I love 
Uh, Psalms 13, I was reading that this week too. He said, oh Lord, how long? And we'll see that in Daniel as we get into the scripture. He's like, how long, oh Lord? He, for three weeks, he's, he's mourning, he's praying. How long, oh Lord? How long? And so verse 14 is kind of a somewhat of a key verse, and you'll understand why as we move through the rest of the book of Daniel. But it says this, it says, He came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. And so I want to get into the scriptures right here. In verse 1, this is a setting, this is kind of the setting of the vision. And it says this, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict or warfare. And he understood the word and he had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. And so the first verse gives us this overview of the chapter, which we talked about. And it starts to give us this understanding of what's happening in verse 2. And so in chapter 9, if you remember, Daniel began to pray, he began to fast, he began to mourn. But don't forget that Daniel not only did that in chapter 9, Daniel was a man of prayer. We see that throughout all the book of Daniel. Daniel was a man who fought his war, fought his battle through prayer. And so he sought God through prayer. And so in his prayers, if you remember at the end, he gives this tremendous, in chapter 9, at the end of that, he gives this tremendous prophecy and an answer to his prayer. He talks about that it seems to be that the Messiah was cut off, but he's not. He's not cut off. It may look like that, and the world may think that they have won, but it's only for a short moment. And so he gives him an answer to that prayer. And then it says this. It goes on and it says, and that's in the first year of King Cyrus. And so, if you remember, the first year, according to Ezra, chapter 1, and all the way through chapter 3, Cyrus made a decree, and he says this. He says, all the people of Israel can now return home. And so that's Daniel's prayers. He was entering into chapter 9. Remember, for 70 years, the scripture talked about Jeremiah, that way we were going to be in exile. They were being captive. And so, so Daniel is praying this prayer, and it seems to be answered right here. It's, it's approaching the 70 years. And in the first year of the Cyrus king, he makes a decree. And he says, all the people can go home. They can all go home. But do you know what happens as we come to chapter 10? Look at verse 1. And what's the first thing it says? In the third year, third year of Cyrus the king of Persia, the word was revealed, and Daniel, who was named Belshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word, and he had understanding. But it says in the first, in the third year, so two years later, two years later after he's made the announcement, he's made the decree, you can all return home. All the Israelites, you can return home. Go home. Yet, they don't. They don't return home. Why? After so many years of suffering and devastation, they stay. Two years later, they don't go back. They're comfortable, right? They're comfortable. They're entangled into society. They're prosperous. They've been absorbed into the society, so they're too involved to really care about the promised land, to care about rebuilding Jerusalem. They're too involved to care about restoring the temple. 
And you think to yourself, why don't they go back? Did anyone go back? And Ezra actually says that 42,000 went back. But that's such a small drop in the bucket. Remember, all these people have been captive and brought for 70 years. 70 years. And so the growth of the Israelites has grown over 70 years. And 42,000 go back. And then we come to verse 2 right here. And now we can understand this great morning, right? Daniel's people, the ones he's been praying for, the ones he's been laboring for. It says, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks, 21 days, 21 days. And in verse 3 it says that he didn't even eat, it says no delicacies, right? That, that he would, withstood from all of the king's food, all of the good stuff, the best of the best. He wanted none of it. And not only that, it says no meat or wines entered my mouth. And he's just talking about the regular food, the everyday foods. He didn't even want that. Nor did I anoint myself at all. He refrained from all food, all banquets, put nothing on himself. All he did was pray. He prayed. So then we get to verse 4. In Daniel's vision of the Lord, it says this, On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphrates. Around his waist, his body was like beryl. His face was like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes were flaming torches. His arms and his legs were like gleaming of, of brushing bronze. And the sound of his words, like the sound of the multitude. This is God. This is God. This is the pre-incarnation appearance of Christ. And we see that in Revelation. I want to read this. Revelation 1.12. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to the similarities. It says this, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven gold lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in long robes, with a golden sash around his chest, his hair of his head were, like, were white, white like wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flaming fire. And his feet were like brushing bronze, refined in the furnace. And his voice was like a roar of many waters. Besides the description of the hair, such similarities. Such similarities. We look to this voice, this one who has appeared to Daniel... It says he's clothed in linen. This is God's holiness. He's talking about God's holiness. That he had a belt of gold, God's sovereignty. That we can trust in his plan. That is good. It says beryl. This word beryl is it's really it's a, it's a reflective jewel. And it talks about God's glory. That it's just, God is so good. His face like lightning. Speaking of God's power, his eyes like flaming torches. Speaking of God's all-knowing, that he knows everything. His arms and legs, this is God's judgment. The sound of multitudes or rushing water, this is God's voice, that it demands attention. And so we see this imagery of Christ, not only here, not only in Revelation, but also in Ezekiel chapter 1. We see this. And now let's look at Daniel and his friends and the response. Let's look at their response. Let's sit here for a minute. Look at verse 7. 
It says, I and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw the great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his voice, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. So the one thing that we observe here was Daniel's response to this vision. And not only that, his boys that were with him, they fled. They were out of there. They left, right? Remember, he's on the banks of the Tigris River. He's standing there for 21 days. And they see this vision. And when he sees, when he sees this, his response is this, that his face loses color. He turns cold and fearless and lifeless. And then his boys left him. <laughs> Would you stand there, right? I mean, you can't really blame him. And not only did that, it says he fell into like this trance, like a coma. He fell down face first. It looked like he died, right? So they up and left. They got out of there. And then it says this. It says, then he heard the sound of his voice, the sound of his words, and he fell on his face in a deep sleep. Fleeing. They fled. Verse 10. And behold. So this is the angel's word to Daniel. It says, Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved or greatly treasured, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when you have spoken these words to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your hearts to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of, your, because of your words. And the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came and helped me. For I was left there with the king of Persia. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. And so in verse 10, we see the angel, and we see the angel of the Lord coming to Daniel. But this time, it's different than the one that came to him in verse 5 and 6. It's different than God. It's another angel. And so I love this verse 11 and 12. It's full of encouragement on Daniel's side. He says this, you are greatly loved. You are greatly treasured. Guess what, children of God? You are greatly loved, and you are greatly treasured. Though it may seem like you're not hearing from God, you are loved. You are loved. And this is what he says. He says, you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. Remember, he's mourning the sins of the people. He's fasting. He's withholding. And he's praying for 21 days. 21 days. And it says, your words have been heard. This verse really constitutes a great encouragement for us who pray. Really think about, think about what's happening here. Think about your own prayer life when you say, God, where's your answer? Why haven't I heard from you? I'm praying, I'm seeking you continually. And this should encourage us. He says, not only did I hear your praise, but he says, immediately, immediately, from the first word I heard. So there's no delay, church. 
As children of God, when you speak, when you pray to the Father, when you make your request known, He hears. It's immediate. Though it's delayed, though it can be delayed, your prayers are heard. And so we must trust, we must pursue, we must continue to seek Christ even when we haven't heard. And so look what he says. He says, then for me, I'm sorry, he says this. It says, for the prince of Persia, the demon. So that's the demon there in verse 13. The prince of the kingdom, it's a demon, withstood me for 21 days. So there's your answer, right? There's Daniel's answer. For 21 days. Why have you, you've heard me on day one, and yet it's 21 days later you've come. It's because there's this unseen world. There's something happening behind the scenes. See, Daniel right here, he just, he just gets a picture of it. He gives us a picture. He pulls back, draws back the veil, and says, there's something going on. Your prayers have been heard. And the Lord sent me. And on my way to you, I was interrupted by the prince of Persia. There's a demon. So there's some spiritual world. There's this unseen world, something happening that we cannot perceive. And so he pulls back the veil. And he gives Daniel somewhat of an answer to what's going on. To what's going on behind the scenes. It's the spiritual warfare And so there's more going on than what meets our eyes. And we have to know that. We have to understand that. And so in verse 14, he says, that I want you to understand what's going on and is what to come. So there's more to come. I'm giving you a glimpse of what's happening, but there's more to come. And so if we remember in chapter 2, verse 21, Daniel says this. He says, changes. He says this. Uh, Daniel says that God says, changes times and season, but disposes kings and sets up kingdoms. God is in control. God puts those things in place that he wants to put in place, and he allows those kingdoms to reign that reign on earth. But it's only for a short time. It's only till he establishes his everlasting kingdom. And so God is involved with the affairs of this world and with the unseen world. God is involved. You are not standing alone. God is with you. And so we learn in more details about what is going on behind the scene. The demon in Persia holds up God's angel, and it seems to suggest that there's this certain region even that demons are involved in. Like he's over Persia, and then there's another one over Greece we'll read on later on. But there's more going on. Know that, church. Know that. The reality is, is that spiritual warfare, it affects every human kingdom, especially God's people on earth. It affects us. That's the reality. And so we see this in the New Testament. And Paul writes this to the church of Thessalonica. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. He says, we want to come to you. Certainly, I, Paul, want to again and again. But Satan blocked our way. So this is not only an Old Testament thing. This is reality now. This is happening now. There is a battle being fought. And also Paul writes this to Ephesus and he says, I want you to turn with me. I, w- I, want, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 and I want to walk through this with you guys. If you will, hold your spot, flip over to Ephesians 6 and I really want to walk through this and explain this to you. And so as you're turning there, I want to set the stage for you. In chapter 5, leading up to chapter 6, there's, a, there's, there's Paul really preparing the church uh, to put on what we would say the armor of God. And we're all familiar with that. So Ephesians 6 verse 10. We look at that. And in chapter 5 he encourages them first to walk in love. It says this in verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. 
and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let us walk in the spirit of God. Let us be people that long to be in fellowship, to abide in Christ. He also says this, walk in light. It says in verse 7 of chapter 5, Therefore do not, excuse me, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. You are no longer captive by this world, this unseen world. You are children of the light. You have all that you need to walk in Christ. And then he says, walk in wisdom. Verse 15, it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord Uh, what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk in wine, for this is democracy, but be filled with the Spirit. And this is referring to not only just drunkenness, but what Paul is referring to at this time when he's teaching is that there's this cup of demons, right? That when we become drunk, that we've been influenced by by things that are unseen. So Paul is preparing them and He says, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. And then he does this. And then Paul gives us these practical areas. And we're leading this up to chapter 6. And he says this. He says, in in areas in our life, we are subjected to spiritual warfare, our marriage. How many times people feel like you're in spiritual warfare in your marriage? Probably never, right? It's just perfect. Things are good. If you are, see me after church. I'd like to talk. Uh, But in our marriage. And so Paul hits on that, the church and Christ and what that looks like in our marriage. In our parenting, right? There's another one. Children and parenting. We could go on. We could stand here for hours and share stories about how awesome our kids are. (laughs) And those are true. But there's a warfare going there on how we raise our children, how we love them like Christ loves them. And then our workplace. Our workplace. So much spiritual warfare going on. So many opportunities for us to not stand in the character of God. For us, for, our, for us to compromise the character of God as Christians in our workplace. So many opportunities. There's warfare. There's things going on there. So we must be mindful of that. And so Paul is teaching, he's leading everything up to verse 10. As we get to Ephesians 6, verse 10, it reads like this. It says, finally, Be strong in the Lord and in strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand to get the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is something going on, church. And Paul wants us to know about that. That's the wrestle. That's the wrestle that's going on behind the scene. Then he continues in verse 13. He says, therefore, church, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil days and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. 
And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Guys, this is our, this is our ammo, right? This is our ammunition right here in verse 18. We could teach all day long on, these, on this scripture and break down what the breastplate means and what the sword and the belt of truth and all this. But this is what he says. He says this. Pray at all times in the Spirit. This is verse 18. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication or request, right? Make our requests known to God. Even when we don't understand what's going on, church. Make it known. And he continues, he says, to the end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications. Again, he's saying making supplications, making our prayer requests known for all the saints. So not only us, but be aware, church, that we are being attacked. We are one body, one set of believers with one common goal to bring glory to God. And so why would we not pray for our brothers and sisters? Even in the midst of them not understanding their situations. Pray. Pray. And he goes on, he says, as for me, in verse 19, that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What a way to end. What a way to end. He says, as I ought to speak. This isn't something he's suggesting to us as believers. He's saying, put on the armor of God. Pray to your Father and speak boldly the gospel of truth. Because there is a war that's raging, but guess what? I'm on your side. And even though you can't see, even though you can't understand all that is going on, I'm taking care of it. I'm active in the affairs of your life. Because you are the vehicle to which is going to bring glory to God. The church. We are the church. We are his people for his possession. So let me speak as I ought. It's a command, church. This is a command. Suit up and speak the gospel and don't be afraid, even though we don't understand what's going on. So that's how we fight against the darkness of this world. That's how we fight the unseen battles, by praying. By praying that God will strengthen my marriage, that God will strengthen my parenting, that God will give me the courage and the boldness in my workplace to be the gospel and be the truth. And so flip back to Daniel. Verse 15, Daniel's, we see him in his weakness here. And he says, when I had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and I was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision Pains have come upon me, and I, retrain, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Daniel is exhausted. He's without strength. He's full of pain because of this small glimpse of what is unseen. Right? 
Daniel's a man who sought God, and we see that throughout the book of Daniel. We see that he's trusting, that he has a faith like Noah, that he's trusting in the midst of his circumstances, even to the point of death, being thrown into the lion's den. He's trusting God, and he's standing here exhausted because now there's a whole new unseen world that is revealed to him, and he understands at 85 years old, retired, right? Thinks he's on his way out, that there's another battle to fight. There's another, another battle to fight. And so not only what is going on now, but that which is to come. And so then to top it all off, to top it all off, as Daniel stands here right on the bank on the side of the river, Daniel gets to experience the greatest cliffhanger of all time. Look at verse 18. It says again, one having appeared of a man touched me and strengthened me and said, O man, greatly love, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my, my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? A rhetorical question, right? He's <laughs> like, yes, I know why, right? You told me. Can you explain? And he says this. He says, but now I'll return to fight against the prince of Persia. And you know that Daniel's like, what is going on? You've pulled back this veil. And now you're leaving again? I'm waiting for the answer. And he says, but I'll be back. I got to fight, right? And then when he continues and he says, I will turn to fight against the prince of Persia, the demon. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Let me pray, church. Father, we love you. And God, we are so thankful. Even though we don't understand, even though there's mystery... Even though as we sit as Daniel and we're longing to see the answer to this vision. God, give us faith to trust you. Give us faith to trust. Even now that we know and that you have revealed to us that there is a spiritual battle happening all around us. In all dynamics of our family life, and in our workplace, there's something going on. So, Father, give us the strength to fight these battles as children of God, as those who long to see you glorified. In seasons when it's tough and we don't understand, Father, let us persevere in our prayer knowing that you've heard our prayers and that though the time may be delayed and though we may never see the answer here on earth, God, we trust that you are sovereign and in control because your word speaks of that to us. Thank you for your goodness, Father. Teach us to be men and women who fall on our face and lift high your name.
in all circumstances of life. Teach us to fight these battles here on earth and the ones that we cannot see by our prayers, by our supplication to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.